Hawaii watching from, from Hawaii. I'm just kidding. Obviously, we trust you. Um, but we, we do need a count. No, I'm kidding. We trust you. And, uh, but others that are like on vacation, it's, how many guys know that summertime in Michigan is the only three weeks that's really worth living in Michigan? <laughs> right? And, and we want you to enjoy your summer. So I'm so glad for the, how many guys are thankful for our live stream team? Can we just say thank you to them? I love that they allow us to stay connected even when we're, we're apart from each other for a short, short amount of time. Not long, so we become unhealthy out there just as consumers. Ah, but, but for a little while, right? The baby came, got a little sickness. Thank you. I said take a stand, but that's good too. All right. And Grand Blank House Campus, how many of you guys love and appreciate Pastors Jim and Carrie Parkin? Like, they are... Super duper. We're looking at one or maybe two other locations. You're like, you know what? I'd like to have a house campus in my home that meets on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock or meets on Monday night at 7 o'clock or Tuesday afternoon or for shift workers or for, you know, whatever that is. Like, we're looking for people that really want it. They feel like called to ministry, but they don't really have the capacity, the time, the courage, the faith, whatever it is, to go all out and, like, like pastor something. But they want to, they're pastors, but they're not necessarily vocational. Does that make sense? So think about that. And let's start again. We're, we're, we're continuing our series. I got a little cough in my throat. This is not a sermon illustration. This is a necessity. Love the coffee shop. Amen. So here's, here's our neuroscience truth. Remember, we're in week eight now of our summer series talking about the brain, the mind, the soul, the physiology, the psychology, and, and the, uh, the spiritual nature of, of who we are and what we are, and we're being transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we'll get to again this morning, but being transformed, not being conformed, but being transformed, and we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our mind is separate from the physiology of our brain. Our mind tells our brain what to construct, how to build. There's over, I was looking at so 2,000 different neurochemicals are, are uh, transmitted through the thinking process that goes down to a, an RNA, not just a DNA, but an RNA level in our bodies. You know what that means? Don't worry about listening to the last eight weeks, and you'll, you'll be closer to what I'm talking about. But Dr. Caroline Leaf says this. It's when a neural pathway, that which carries the electronic signals that become our decision-making, our reflexes, what takes the memory from the back of our brain, the stimulus from the front of our brain and makes a decision about whether I, this is a good dog or a bad dog, whether I trust that salesperson, whether I don't, whether I, what am I going to have for lunch today? There's a, there's a million different things. Actually, not, not being um, in any way exaggerative, there's hundreds of millions of things that are firing down these neural pathways until there's a conclusion that is made and language is produced to say, I want the chicken sandwich. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys have a spouse and, and one of the most difficult decisions they make is, what do you want for dinner tonight? Right? I don't know, whatever you want. And then you suggest all the things they hate until they finally make a decision. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's something to help you. So when a neural pathway is no longer used, we no longer think these thoughts. We, we've avoided them. We don't use this anymore. This is a pathway we haven't been down for a long time. Just as grass would kind of overgrow, and within a few years, you'd never know there was a path there. Same thing happens in our brains. When a neural pathway is no longer used, the brain dismantles the unused protein chains and reuses the material to form new neural pathways. When we are conformed to the pattern of this world, our brains look like Michigan roads. There's a lot of detours. There's a lot of extra steps. There's a lot of inefficiency. There's a lot of potholes. There's a, there's a lot of poorly patched streets. There, there's a lot of go this way, no go that way. There's like, how many of you guys wish that our brains actually had a, a, some sort of a navigation Siri thing? Like, Siri, I want to be a good person. It says, turn left at the next stop sign. Traffic up ahead. Well, it doesn't. We go down dead ends and come back and are thinking. We, we, we are forced into frustration, right? So it's, it's like that. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to put out some orange barrels 
Um, biblically, because how many of you guys know science and the Bible can be good friends? They don't have to be enemies. They can be good friends. When they're both speaking the truth, both of them are speaking the same language. When one is speaking and the other one's like, I know what I understand, back to Copernicus, we hate each other, but we don't. Truth is truth, and lovers of truth, whether they be scientists or theologians, should get along well. Somebody say amen, right? So today we're going to put out some orange barrels, because Paul says it this way. Romans chapter 12, do not conform, be pressed in the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphos. We get our modern word metamorphosis, from a worm to a butterfly, from a polywog, from a tadpole, depending on if you're from the south or the north, uh, to, to a frog, right? From something different to something transformed into something you would never guess that a butterfly and a caterpillar were the same animal. You'd never guess that a polywog and a frog were the same animal, right? So do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test. Then you'll be able to prove what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing will. Bruce Wilkinson, one of my favorite and, and lightly known authors uh, wrote one of the best books on teaching I've ever read called The Seven Laws of the Learner. Bruce Wilkinson, not Wilker, but Wilkun, Wilkinson. He says this. He says, to renew your mind simply means that you leave unbiblical thoughts behind and embrace what the Bible teaches. In other words, for you to renew your mind, you must think something you've never thought before. Your mind must embrace the new, not merely repeat the old. If a new biblical thought didn't enter your awareness, then you didn't renew your mind. If you didn't renew your mind, then God didn't transform you, and no metamorphosis has occurred. Does this make sense? So memorizing Scripture and still living like the devil, that's what he's talking about. Um, saying, I am self-disciplined, I, I am healed, I am under the blood, I am, but then living like we're sick and living like we're, we're depressed. And, living like, and by the way, if you're sick or you're depressed, I'm not saying those aren't real. I'm simply saying this. In order to go from what you are that you don't want to be and God doesn't want you to be to where God wants you to be, there has to be some decisions made. Come on, somebody say amen. So here's the question to consider, whether it's attitude, whether it's, whether it's discipline, it, but the, the you that Jesus wants you to be, the you that you know Jesus wants you, that you want to be, but you're not there yet. What, what would happen if we do this? If you could renew your mind by deleting some files, we use computer talk, and downloading new ones to replace them, what would you delete and what would you download? How many of you guys know there'd be a big file called bad eating? I delete it. And like love of all things green, I would just insert that, right? Because green stuff is healthy stuff. I think you could probably eat poison ivy and be healthier than, than people that go through Taco Bell three times a week, right? Because I, I, it's green. You could eat algae. I think algae is probably better for you than Oreo cookies. Can I get a witness, right? Right, okay. And the stuff that's in the back of the refrigerator that, that used to be yellow and then it turned brown and then it turned green, when it's green, it's healthy. That's what I'm saying. So what would you delete? What would you keep? Now, Paul answers the question. He does it this way. He says, you were taught, this is Ephesians 4, verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. So we're going to put away, we're going to put off your what? Your old self, right? Which is being corrupted. It's got a virus in it by its deceitful desires. There's the virus. And be made new. We're going to install some new software being made new in the attitude of what? Come on, your minds. There it is again, right? And to put on this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that's a lot of theology. As you know, Paul just kind of wrote it, but I could spend the next year digesting it. That's, that's how true and how complex that statement is. So we're going to break it down. How many of you know that, that sheep, when they eat, they eat a lot of grass, but then they kind of walk and get some water, and then they kind of bring up a little bit of time and they chew on it? It's called cud. It's not overly a, an attractive thought, but it is biblical. Are you still with me, right? So the first thing is, is this. We're going to put off 
your old self. In other words, your old operating system has a virus. It's been corrupted by deceitful desires. They're not desires that say, I'm bad. They're desires that actually feel like they're good. You know why we give in to things we shouldn't give into? Not because they're bad. I just really want to bang my head against that wall. <laughs> Nobody does that. If they do, they have deeper issues, right? But the average person that wants it, they, they, the problem is it sounded like such a good idea. And the voice that talked me into it now condemns me for having given into it. Because I realize it's an inferior behavior that separated my heart on some level from God's heart. I feel a sense of guilt or shame or remorse or I shouldn't have ought to done that, right? So this is Paul. Now you say, what, what does Paul know about modern issues? Like Paul didn't have the internet. Paul doesn't have friends on Facebook that are enemies. Paul doesn't have, you know, pornography in his face. Paul, but, but this is what Paul did have. Paul had this. Paul was, was a, a Pharisee, which was a very strict sect of Judaism. I mean, extraordinarily strict. Like, Pharisee itself means separated one. So he was one that no matter what anybody else is doing, we don't do that. Why? Because we're holy unto God. You eat that, we don't eat that. Why? Because we're holy unto God. You do that, well, we don't do that. Why? Because we're holy unto God. Anything the world does, anything, it doesn't matter. We wouldn't relate to a single person but ourselves because we believe ourselves to be so right that when Jesus comes, they don't even think they need a Savior. They actually think they're better than the Savior that God sent to save them. They got issues, right? Self-righteousness. The righteous they have was themselves. So <clears throat> what happens is he's one of them, and he's not just one of them. He's like special forces one of them. He's, he's like, like multi-decorated Green Beret one of them. So what happens is now he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, you know these people you've been imprisoning? These people you've been presiding over their executions? These people whose families you destroyed? These people who had to leave everything they ever owned, all their families, and, and flee to Antioch and other towns? They're actually my people. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul, he's known now, but Saul was his name prior to that. He says, who are you? He goes, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. And how many of you guys ever had a bad day? It's a bad day. So your whole life has been about persecuting these bad people. And all of a sudden, God says, actually, you're the bad person. And he flips the script on Paul. Now, when he gives his life to Jesus, he goes into this town. He's on straight street. Ananias comes. God heals his body. God heals his soul. God heals his spirit. He's baptized. Eventually, he ends up back in Jerusalem. Now, here's the problem. How many of you guys know that if you did, if, if Osama bin Laden walked in the room and says, it's okay, I've met Jesus, some of us may not believe that because some of us had friends that went to war. And some of us knew people in those towers. And some of us know people that have cancer today because of stuff they breathe in from the dust. From the, like, you're, it's just not okay. Thank you, you went to church. Thank you, you're religious now. Wonderful, you had a prison conversion. But I don't know that I trust you. I mean, guys know what I'm talking about. In, in the real world, I don't know. This is just Osama bin Laden. This might be your brother-in-law I'm talking about. I thought I'd be quiet, but I just, I enjoy it sometimes. It's like, not my brother-in-law, her brother-in-law. Right? So hear this, guys. He comes back, and he has to face the people that have never been hurt in their life like the hurt that he caused. He has to go back and face people and see things. And so how, you talk about this. How do we, how do we put off the old? Listen, there, there's a series of forgivenesses, forgiving yourself being one of those things that have to take place. There has to be a clean slate, a new start. He actually says in Philippians chapter 3, it says forgetting what's behind, and straining. How many of you guys know Paul's not talking about, like, strolling? He says straining. In other words, to get forward from where he was takes a lot of effort. He's pulling something. He's, he's pushing against something. There's a weight to this. So forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal of knowing Jesus and making him known. He deleted his operating system. Hear me. 
He had a religious operating system. And for those of you that have a religious operating system, sometimes that's the hardest operating system to delete. Yeah, okay, let me try that another way. If I took a board and I cut it to the right length and then took the board, not, not the one that I use, but the one that I just cut, and I use that to be the next standard and I cut it, and I take that and the next, I mean, this what happens every time you do that, you're gaining about an eighth of an inch every time, right? So we actually did this one time with roof trusses. I remember as a kid, we built roof trusses and the roof had a really eclectic kind of a Mr. Frodo Shire sort of thing that happened because we used that one as the model and that one as, a, and it gained a little bit of room. And you know, by the time you put extra shingles on, it looks okay. But let's be very careful that when we study what, what it means to follow Christ, we don't study each other and say that's the rule. We don't study the latest and greatest, what I heard at a conference, the book I just read, the critique of the modern church. Listen, we should always be critiquing the modern church. We're part of it. We should be examining ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith, not some copy of the faith. But when you get a copy of a copy of, how many guys are old enough to remember Xerox machines? Right? Remember the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy of the copy? Eventually, you've got you to go back to the original because you can't even read the words anymore because it's got the smudges from the glass and it's got the, the face print and the hand print of the guy that copied it. Eventually, it gets so bad that it doesn't look like it was supposed to. It's not a copy anymore. It's, it's something that's been altered through time. So hear me. Paul had an altered vision of who God was, and he had to come back to the original. Can I suggest it would be a bad exercise for all of us to do that every once in a while? Just to, just to take a and our dry erase board, everything, just get rid of it, all the isms and schisms and this and the that and, and politics and science and just, just stop and maybe read the gospel of Matthew and see what Jesus said to do. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, no. Oh, no, you're a victim. You'll get walked all over in this one. No. Jesus said, bless. I think he knows what he's talking about. Let's just take for granted that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Let's let him design our faith. Does this make sense? Paul had to go back. You got to delete your old operating system. Secondly, he says this, to be made new in the attitude and the spirit and in, in the, the, the isms of your minds. In other words, you need a new operating system based on the truth of God's love. Come on, somebody. God's mercy. How many guys know if you don't know God's love and God's mercy, you're looking at everything wrong? I'm just going to say that outright. If you don't know the love of the Father, if you cannot give away what you do not possess. So if your conditions with God, your relationship with God is filled with conditions, I promise you, your relationship with everybody is filled with conditions. And once you understand, I'm not trying to make this up. If the Bible doesn't say it, then please don't live it. But if the Bible says, for God so loved the world, then everybody in this room is equally loved by a holy God. Right? So his love, his mercy, and his will. It's not just a, a reactive mercy. It's a proactive grace. We've got to live this. If Christianity is nothing but what you don't do anymore, you have a bad form of Christianity. You're, you're not just saved from something. You're unleashed somewhere. You're God's answer to problems. You're, you're the solution. Uh, all that stuff, right? Uh, a, a victim. <coughs> there goes that puberty again. Let me try this. A victim. This Peter Brady moment brought to you by Nabisco. Everybody over 40 thought that was funny. Everybody's like, Peter Brady? Does he play for the Patriots? Yes, he does. He's a wide receiver. And he hit Marsha in the nose. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Um, in a previous part of my life, I'm going to say in a previous life, in a previous part of my life, I was a chaplain at a, a prison for kids that are under 18 that were in there for murder and violence and rape and all this stuff. And it was interesting is the gospel had such a profound effect on every one of their young hearts. When, when they 
This is the one thing that, and there's others, the gospel had no effect. So what's the difference between those who respond to the gospel and live and those who don't respond to the gospel and I'll see you in the adult prison as soon as you turn 18 because as soon as you get out of here, you're going to do it again. This is the one thing. Hear me. And you've got to hear me. Everybody's listening, right? Everybody's right here. Those who got the gospel did not consider themselves a victim. And those who did not respond to the gospel had a hundred excuses why that didn't apply to them. One of the most difficult problems that we're going to have to solve as a culture, yes, there's victims. Yes, there's people who have been hurt. Yes, there's problems that need to be solved. But looking backwards at the problems is different than looking forward to the solutions of those problems. And so when all the, hey, Jesus loves you? No, he doesn't. Why? Because nobody's ever loved me. My dad didn't love me. My mom didn't. Like, stop. Jesus loves you. I didn't, whoever brought your parents up? Well, yeah, the culture didn't love me. Society didn't love me. Teachers didn't love me. The coach played somebody else in Little League. I'm like, I'm not talking about your coach when you were four. I'm talking about you today as a murderer who's 15 years old, Danny Villalobos. You put a bullet in your friend's head, and you killed him because you were snuffing paint out of a sock. And you picked up a gun, and you shot your friend in the head and killed him in front of his brother. Is that your fault or is it not? Not my fault, man. I, it's, you know, I didn't put the paint there. There should have been warning. Danny, until you can take responsibility and stop being a victim, the gospel can't help you. The good news of Jesus Christ can't help you until it is your fault and you own it. Does this make sense? It, it, it may, it, there are circumstances that cause us into chains of, of natural behaviors that are negative. Do we agree with that? But that, that doesn't make anything excusable. Everything that we do wrong is forgivable, but nothing we do wrong has an excuse attached to it that makes it right. So there's this victim mentality, and I'm telling you this. Listen, when we say that my old operating system is my problem, I need a new operating system being transformed, the renewing of my mind, this attitude of my mind, there has to be a certain forward-facing optimism about the goodness of God, not the badness of my past. Are you still here? We're talking about renewing the mind. If you are the end result of everybody else's abuse, and we've all been abused, I mean, to tremendous degrees or minor degrees, right? We'll all agree with that. No one's lived this charm life. We've all been through hell on some level, whether it was a really hot one or a really purgatory one, but we've all been through hell somehow. Are you still with me? But if we live at our worst moment and make that our identity, we'll never move past, we'll never grow past, we'll never be blessed past the worst thing that's ever happened to us. So an optimist and a pessimist, and, and, and maybe these are the wrong words, but, but they're not... They're not bad. They're not far from it. An optimist and a pessimist. An optimist with faith looks at the future and says something good's going to happen today. A pessimist looks at the past and says something bad's going to happen today. And they both have evidence for their belief. And, and it could be the exact same circumstances. But one's looking forward to today and one's going, I hope nothing bad happens today. Hear me. <clears throat> now, you might have heard the story, but the, the scientists decide, can you change a pessimist and an optimist? You ever heard this one? Or an optimist and a pessimist, a pessimist and an optimist. So they took the pessimistic kid, and they threw, they threw him a birthday party. His favorite food, all the kids were his age, the video games didn't need quarters. Can I get a witness? You know what I mean? Just, just heaven on earth, right? <clears throat> there's a pony, there's a clown, and they leave him in there for two hours, and they come back with no outside interference, and he's sitting in the corner. There's a half-eaten piece of cake next to him, and he's crying. So what's wrong? He's, you know, there's the pessimist kid. He goes, I just, nobody wants to play with me. I'm never good at the games. The pony tried to bite me. 
I just hate my life. It's not fair. And they said, okay, well, I guess, I guess atmosphere, surroundings can't change a pessimist and an optimist. They took the optimistic kid. Well, can you change an optimist into a pessimist? So they took him to this, this room, and they opened up this big wooden door, and chest deep is warm horse manure. There, there's, a, there's one light bulb, just a small, like a, like a taillight in a car, dimly lit room, smells bad, flies everywhere. They, the kid looks back, and they grab him. They, they throw him face first into a pile of manure, and they slam the door. Two hours. And he's here today. Jason, thank you. And, 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 <laughs> sorry. and they slam the door, and they leave him there like, oh, we're going to go to jail for this, but we got to find out. Two hours later, they come back, and as they, as they open the door, a big, fresh horse just blop, hits the researcher right in the face. And, and there's the light swinging back and forth. Manure's flying everywhere, and they think, oh, my gosh, we broke him. They grab him. He's like, no, no, don't. I got to stay. I got to stay. And they pull him out. They say, son, are you okay? What's the matter? He said, let me back in there with all that manure. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Now, I say that because we all kind of know the kid that's looking for the pony. And we all kind of know the kid that's looking for the rejection. And they both found what they were looking for in their environments. Listen, when we look at the future, can you look at the future with a good God who's on your side? Or do you look at it like, I don't know, man. We talked about cognitive dissidence and continuity of narrative a few weeks ago. I, I used to be uh, an optimist, but then I became a realist because when I prayed this prayer, it didn't happen. When I wanted this, I didn't get it. When I was afraid of this, it, it came to pass. I, I get all that. We talked about how God wants to build our faith, not just our comfort. And so there's going to be weights that are heavy, and, and there's going to be things that hurt. Please understand that. In this world, you will have trouble. By the way, I didn't say that. I'm quoting Jesus. You will have, I didn't say trouble. I actually said tribulation. What's the difference between trouble and tribulation? Trouble is, I have a mother-in-law. Tribulation is, she's coming to live with us. <laughs> you see the difference? One is a reality. One is a reality. <laughs> and I love my mother-in-law. That's not. One is, you make fun of your mother-in-law. Two, you do it publicly. That's the difference, right? So faith in God is the greatest reason. Come on, faith in God. The one who's able to take all things and work them together for my good, then it doesn't really matter what happens today. It matters what he does with what happens today through my life. I'm going to be in prison. Why? Because there's prisoners that need Jesus. I'm going to be on the battlefield. David, why? Because there's, there's songs that can only be written by people that have been through war. I'm going to go through heartache. Why? Because when my heart is broken, it is open to God in a way. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be what? comforted. I don't get comfort unless I'm broken somewhere. So that's what I'm talking about. Lastly is this. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness. I'll just say this. That, that put on, I don't know this to be true, but I, I you know, they wore tunics, their robes, but I, I don't understand the clothes of the Bible. You see it differently in one movie than the other movie. But it, what it talks about is, is step into. That word put on means to step into. And I wonder if, if a tunic wasn't, wasn't on the floor and you, got, and, you, and you did this and pulled it up. Because it's actually saying, like, take off the old, step over to the new, step into it, and then, and then put it on, sink into it is what that word actually means, sink into this new reality. In other words, get into the word, and you'll get out of the world. Get into prayer, and you will get out of a lack of conversation with God. Get, get into serving God, serving others, 
and you'll get out of selfishness. I, I can't be serving you in the name of the Lord and be selfish at the same time. I can't be praying and be prayerless at the same time. I can't be in the Word and not in the Word. In other words, it, they put on this new reality, this new understanding of who I am and, and what is mine and what my responsibilities are and what my response should be to the love of God. Just, just go all in. Like fellowship. I, I, I give people a hard time they're watching live stream. And it's not because that's an inferior message. It's the same message you're getting. But something happens when we get the message together that doesn't happen when I'm looking at it on my phone up north. And there's nothing wrong with watching it up north. Um, there is something wrong with watching it in Columbus, Ohio. I, I, I will all agree with that, right? But anywhere in Michigan is fine, or Florida, whatever, right? I'm, I'm glad that Dave and Valerie Carlton, I'm glad that in Hawaii right now, I'm with, with the ladies, I'm, I'm glad that people are where they are watching this. I really am, sincerely am. But, but it's important we come back together because family doesn't just send postcards. Family shares meals. Family shoots guns together at Tom and Kathy Hool's house. Getting out of the car the other day. Yesterday we're there, and I, I mean, help you all of a sudden. Pop, 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 100 yards behind me. Any combat veteran's going to hit the ground. I'm just like, I can't down. No, I'm at Tom's house. This is normal. I'm at a meeting of the Freedom Center militia. It's just the way it is. Cornhole. I'm watching all the veterans. They're like, grenade. I mean, you know, beanbag. Right? When, when, when you do what God's called you to do, I promise you, you'll stop doing what God's called you not to do. It's that simple, right? Put on this new self, right? Put, put it on, sink into it. Caroline Leaf says this, literal, physical, microsurgery is performed every time you repent and rethink old, inferior thoughts for new. Microsurgery, those protein chains we talked about, they're dismantled, and that protein is used in other directions to create new reflexes, new reactions, right? Superior thoughts that become actions, Right? So I don't have time to do this, but understand this. I'm going to give you a couple of these. I have seven of them that are my daily meditations. These are things I confess to myself on a regular basis. They're based on Scripture. The, the language is, is uh, because no one else is ever supposed to see it, but I'm going to show you some of it today. It's, it's more like a journal entry, but it's things I want to remind myself that are true. I want to build the neural pathways so that this is my reality and nothing less. Does this make sense to you? So, and by the way, this Thursday night at 6.30... When we come together for dinner, dinner is, is free. There's children's ministry, youth ministry happening. We have tables set around here. We, we're getting into small groups of people that are old friends and new, and we talk about stuff. This week we'll be studying these kind of like self-confessionals, these things that we absolutely know we need. Some of them are going are to break down old neural pathways and build new ones. Some are just good biblical reminders. But everybody here, hear me. Here, it starts with my security. I went to the Lord, and I said, I just need to know that I'm okay. I need to know that we're okay. I need, what would be the basis of you and I being okay. So every morning, I get up, I read scripture, I go through my devotions, I'm in devotion teams with a bunch of different people, we study the Bible together and comment on it together, I enjoy seeing that. But before I leave the room, this is one of the things I want to do is this, I want to say to myself, and understand the physiology and the theology, are you still here? So this isn't like positive mental imagery, I'm good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, I'm not trying to sell cars, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to become something I'm not, I'm trying to become something I am. I am loved beyond measure and without condition by my heavenly Father, who knowing my life in advance, created me, chose me, gifted me, is fully committed to me, and will never change his mind about me. I mean, guys, think that's a good way to start your day. A piano girl, join me if you would. Number two, as his dearly loved son, I make God happy, especially, especially when I trust him. And, and I, you might say, this is egotistical. Just hear me out. I am his favorite child. I know God loves you, but I'm his favorite. No, how many of you guys know that his love makes us all his favorite child? 
Literally. So when I say I'm his favorite kid, it doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. It, means, it doesn't mean that. It means not only am I his favorite child, but so are you. So I treat you, you treat me, I see you, I see me as God's favorite kid. Number three, through what my Father has done for me in Jesus and is doing for me by his Holy Spirit, I will always be enough. I will always have enough, and I will lack no good thing. I, you know, there's a kingdom of those offering coming up, or there's a tough meeting I'm going to have, or someone's asked me to speak, and I'm, I'm intimidated by the opportunity or the audience. I you know when you cook for hungry people, anybody can cook. When you preach to preachers, it's kind of like, uh, I'm, you just walk up like, okay, my zipper's down, there's something hanging out my left nostril, and I'm going to stutter. It just, it just feels that way. How many of you remember junior high when you walked in the lunchroom, you didn't know what to do with your hands? That's... <laughs> So this is when I'll come back and say, listen, through what my Father has done with me, for, for me through Jesus and is doing for me now by his Holy Spirit, I will always be enough. I will always have enough. I will lack no good thing. When I open my mouth, God will speak. And my zipper's up. Quit looking, you weirdos. Number four, uh, I'm an influencer. And by the way, that, that word was written long before the word influencer became associated with social media. I'm an influencer. I have influence. My life is important to God and men. So what I say, what I do, what I believe, who I am matters more than I can imagine. I want to put something in there about my family. So I wrote this, by God's grace, I lead my wife and family well. I am the priest and patriarch of a powerful group of people called to reach their generation and forcefully advance God's kingdom. I mean, you guys know when, when that is true, you look at your sons differently. You look at your daughter-in-laws differently. You look at your grandchildren differently. I love it when my grandkids start preaching. Like, preach it, brother. Because I, I believe you're going to be the next generation of people to reveal the goodness of God to your generation. I see it. I, I proclaim it. I believe it. I'm walking. This is my reality. I'm not hoping. I'm not dreaming. I'm walking in this as true, right? Number six, I'm anointed with a vision. This is the first one I wrote, by the way. Trying to figure out what I was supposed to be when I grew up. And about 10 years ago, I wrote this down. I am anointed with wisdom and language to connect people in a greater way to what God sees when he looks at them. Connecting them to God. Connecting them to their purpose. Connecting them to their neighbor and the world around them at a higher level. The last one I do is this. I am strong in my body, soul, and spirit. This happened on my 50th birthday, by the way. <laughs> I am strong in my body. And the abundance thereof. I am strong in my body. I'm strong in my soul. I'm strong in my spirit for the glory of God. I can do all things God asks of me, obedience even unto death. And that last sentence means something to God and I, and you don't need to know what that is. So I close with this thought. Who wrote the software for your operating system? Is it conformed software? Is it transformed software? What do you believe about you? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about me? What do you believe about this? What do you believe about your ministry? What do you believe about the world? It, it matters. And so getting those things right on a repeated, I just, I, God loves me. God loves them. God loves everybody. How do you guys know it's easier to forgive somebody you know God loves as much as he loves you? Three amens. I'll take it, right? And, I, and I, I, close, I close with this, this thought, you know, the conform, transform. I mean, I just know that predators, as God made predators, he put their eyes on the front of their head because we, we look where we're going. You ever see like a gazelle? They got eyes on both sides. Why? Because they need 360 because the lions always come from a direction. They never drop down from the tree. So, they, so God gave them, they, so those who live defensively have eyes on either side. They're, they're looking in front of them. They're looking behind them. I mean, you seen one of those weird lizards. It's like, you're just like, stop doing that. You're freaking me out. Right? What is that? Predators have their eyes on the front of their head because we're looking where we're going. Prey has eyes so they can see where they've been. And faith is like that. When you have faith, faith shows you where you're going. God gave you eyes in the front of your head, and God gave you faith for the exact same reason. So you can see where you're going. 
So you can believe in a destiny. You can seek out a destination. Um, came across a sentence again. This is kind of a personal day. So I, I, this is another one that's in my journal. It's for me. It's not for you. And yet here we are. Last thing I'll put up here. Faith is like a time machine, I wrote. But it only allows us to see the future with expectation, not visit the past with regrets. Faith, it's like a time machine. I get into it. In faith, and I can see people being saved. I can see marriages being restored. I can see a need that will no longer be a need in the next generation. I, I love feeding kids in Haiti, but I don't want to feed their grandparents. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't want to feed their grandchildren. Oh, do you want to feed their grandparents? I don't want to feed their grandchildren. Like, I want to solve poverty. I don't want to just give to people that need. Does this make sense? I, I, I look at Flint, and I, you can say, well, look at the statistics. Look at no. Or you can look with faith and see solutions. You can look at generational issues, and you can look at deconstructionism, and you can look at political issues. You got, but you know what? When you have faith, what you see is solutions to problems, not the problems. I don't look at the buildings that burned. I look at what we can build where they used to be. And so I just, I just say this to you. Please hear me. When we talk about the future, when, you, when I talk about your heart, your soul, your attitude, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by tearing down the old neuron paths. Well, there they go again. Those people, that problem, those issues, my life, my mother-in-law, hear me. Everything that's a weight, it's a burden, that's wrong today can be righted by faith through Scripture and prayer. You can be transformed. You and your family, you and your generations can be transformed by the renewing of this one generation's mind. When I was born, there was not a Wigand that was a believer anywhere. Nobody knows. I mean, there might have been, but in my lineage, there wasn't a single Wigand that was a believer. I gave my life at 16 years old at a rock concert that someone saw that was invisible, believed that was impossible, touched even though it wasn't tangible. And, and when that happened, there was a breaking of a curse of atheism and addiction. And I'm serious. A curse of atheism and addiction was broken. My siblings... The females, of course, didn't pass the weekend name on. My, my male siblings did not have children of their own. And so when I was born, there wasn't a single weekend that was a believer. And when I die, there won't be a single weekend that isn't called by God to preach the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. But if I said I'm a victim of my father's addiction, I'm a victim of atheism, I'm a victim of the world, I got a 1.8 GPA, I, I was a private in the military, no one gives me a chance. How many of you guys know that, that I would still be living under a curse even though my destiny is heaven? I mean, you're, you're going to heaven. Why not bring heaven to earth today? So, Father, today I pray in the name of Jesus that old thought patterns, old reflexes, old religious notions, every tradition that doesn't lead us back to the original Jesus, every, every thought pattern, if, it's, if we thought it again and again and again, and every time we do it just frustrates us, maybe it's time to think something that isn't frustrating. Maybe it's time to think about solutions and get to work rather than frustrations and get to complaining. It's griping, grumbling. It does nothing but pollute the air around us. But people that dream a great dream draw dreamers together. Complainers that complain a big complaint draw complainers together. Let us not be victims, but let us be what you've called us to be, which is victorious through Christ. Let me see what you see when I look in the mirror. Let us see what you see when you look into our hearts, God. We pray. Today's a new day, or it's not. Today we're forgiven, or we're not. Today it is finished, or it continues. Help us to tear down every stronghold, every vain imagination, everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Tear it down. We take every thought captive now. Until it says, yes, sir, to Jesus, it is not allowed to proceed from this point forward. Somebody say amen.
And unless it stands at attention, salutes and bows and leaves, it does not have the right to be in my head, our heads, our hearts any longer. Come on. Father, we pray, destroy the old so you can build the new. Tear down what was never supposed to be there to begin with. Why meditate on curses when we're given promises? Why meditate on those who've harmed us when there's so many to love? Why meditate on you being some sort of distant deity when you taught us to call you Father? I pray, God, everything, and one at a time, but as these things come down, we just step into promised lands, and by doing so, we'll step out of wildernesses. Give us, give us that next thing. I, listen, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you need mercy today, God's merciful. Everything, I, this is my daily confession about, you know, the world around me and the world within me. It, all that stuff, I, if I believe it's true for me, it has to be true for you. And I do believe it's true. I, I wouldn't recite it on a regular basis if it, didn't, if it didn't make sense to me as a, almost a prophetic image. Like God took a picture of me as a finished project, and then he comes back to where I am today, and he shows me what I'm going to be. And, and then I, I move towards that with these words. And the same thing's true of you. If, if you're in the wrong place, if you're thinking the wrong thoughts, if you're in cyclical defeat, if you're in cyclical frustration, if you're in cyclical anger, and, you know, what is anger? It's just, I, I feel powerless, so anger makes me more powerful. But, but does it make you more powerful? I think it just makes you a greater victim of the things that you, you, you can change. You can change the world. Because Jesus lives inside of you. But you can't change it when you complain about it. You change it when you have solutions to the world's problems. That's why you're light in darkness, right? So if you're here today, you're like, I need this. And you're, you're willing to raise not, not a quick hand up, but both hands before heaven and say, God, here I am. I pray you delete, through time, delete every file that's of my old nature, my old belief system, my old failing. And God, I, I raise my hands and surrender and say, would you download heaven on me right now? That's you. Lift up both your hands right now. Father, I pray, download heaven. Delete earthly nature. Delete flesh. Delete failure. Delete victimization as, a, as an identity. De, de, delete depression. Delete anxiety. Delete you know, all the, all the stuff that leads us into cycles of repetitive failure, 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 until we expect failure and expect failure and expect failure. We break those things now in Jesus' name. Delete them from our heads and our hearts and our minds and from our physiology. Take the protein chains that led to defeat, dismantle them, and construct them towards victory through Christ Jesus. We are new creations. We are loved. We have a purpose. We were created for a season just like this to be just the right answer to the question, the right solution to the problem. We have a purpose. We're not leftover matter. We're not spare parts. We're not goo to you by way of the zoo. We're not an accident. We're not a product of rape. We're not what we are is dearly loved by God with a purpose and a calling and anointing. And we will stand before you someday and present to you the sum total of our works and say thank you for giving us grace to do all of these things. If you put a crown on our head, we're just going to quickly lay it at your feet because you get all the glory. <laughs> you, you do all things well. Today you're here, you're like, I, I need this. Our hands are raised. God, here's our hands. Here's our hearts, Father. Download heaven into us, we pray. Holy Spirit, fill us with the kingdom of God. Fill us with yourself. Fill us now, we pray. Wash away the old and birth the new now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hmm. God, it feels good to be yours. You feel the peace in this room right now or no? Can you feel, is it just me? You feel the peace? What is that? Striving has ceased. Confusion is gone. 
when the king comes, he brings the kingdom with him. Help us to walk in a peace that doesn't need explanation, a peace that passes understanding, God. Set a guard at our hearts. Set a guard at our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys look like you just finished a massage. I was trying to beat you to death, but you look so relaxed. I must have done something wrong, you know. <laughs> Stand your feet. You are dismissed to go in the grace and peace of the Lord. Haven't done this in a long time, but here it is. Live long, prosper, and we will see you guys soon. I'm going to drink my tea.